as the kids uh, continue out, if you would, take your Bible and turn to Matthew chapter 4. Everyone who's working with the kids, if you can still hear me, thank you so much for, uh, for every, everything that you do. So Matthew chapter 4 is, is where we're going to be this morning, continuing to look at the temptation scene. One, one quick thing before we get started, I want to show you a quick slide on the screen. You notice in your worship guide about the Appalachian Outreach Ministry. This is a mission trip that our folks take every year, end of May, beginning of June. Many of you have been a part of this trip in the past. If this is something, if you love to meet Jesus on a roof, uh, if you love to be involved in construction ministry, you don't even have to be good at construction. Just love to talk to people and minister to people. This is a ministry in the Appalachian Outreach, and the sign-up for this is coming up very soon on February 1st, so we wanted to remind you about that. You can sign up and pay your deposit, and then the, uh, the rest of the money will be due later, but just wanted to give you a heads up uh, about that. If you're a guest with us, we are in the middle of a series looking at the Gospel of Matthew, and right now we're in the part that deals with Jesus's temptations that he faced in the wilderness. We're going to move into uh, a section on the Sermon on the Mount, which I'm really excited about that will begin at the beginning of February. February the 8th, immediately after the Sunday morning service, we're going to have a free lunch for anyone who just wants to know more about the church you want to talk to the staff and ask about things that are going on here, you're curious about membership, curious about the Bible, whatever that case is, that's coming up on February the 8th, which is the same day we're going to start our Sermon on the Mount series. And so if you know friends or family members who would want to be a part of that, we would, we would love to have you join us for that. All right, let's jump in to Matthew chapter 4, and we're going to read... Go ahead and read verses 1 through 11, even though we're going to focus in on just a couple of verses at the beginning. Here's what it says, starting in verse 1, and the verses will be up on the screen as well. You can follow along. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he then became hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God... Command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Then the devil took him into the holy city and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, On the other hand, it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him up to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their glory. And he said to him, All these things I will give you if you fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Go, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and began to minister to him. May God bless the reading of his word. 
This morning, we're going to look specifically at the first temptation. If you got a bulletin as you came in and you want to turn it over, there are some notes that you can use to, to follow along as we look at this text. There's a lot to look at, even just in this first, first temptation, these first couple of verses. And so we're going to jump right into it this morning. The first temptation gets started in verse 2, where it says, After he had fasted, 40 days and 40 nights. Now up on the screen, I've got some of the words marked in color. The reason why I do that is I want you to see kind of the things I'm thinking about as I'm studying. As you're reading your Bible, use your pen, mark it up. If you read on your phone, use the highlight feature, mark it up. Make yourself pay attention to to God's Word and how these verses are put together, how they're broken up, what words are emphasized, that sort of thing. But it says at the beginning that he fasted 40 days and 40 nights. Now, when you hear 40 days and 40 nights, you hear this 40-40 combination. In the Old Testament, in the Bible, there are a lot of instances of this 40-40. You can think about Noah, 40 days and 40 nights. You think about the people that were in the wilderness. They were there 40 years in the wilderness. But when you see the combination of fasting with 40 days and 40 nights, the person you should think of is Moses. In Deuteronomy chapter 9, and this is going to be up on the screen, you can make a note for yourself to look at later, but it'll be up there. Deuteronomy chapter 9 verse 9, it says, when Moses went up the mountain to receive the tablets of stone, the tablets of the covenant that the Lord God had made with you, Moses talking the first person, he says, I remained on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. I neither ate bread nor drank water. One of the things we're going to see in the book of Matthew is how Jesus functions as a new Moses, so to speak. So many of the things that Moses did in his calling, and if if you're not familiar with Moses, we don't want to take too much for granted here. Let me just stop just for a second and say if you come to church and you hear words or references or stories, and you think to yourself, you know, everybody else knows those things, but I don't know those things. Feel no embarrassment. No shame at that point. Seek out God's word. Realize that the person who says that they know it, they might just be pretending anyway. And even if they do know it, we all need this refresher. We never want to say, you can't come to our church unless you know this much. Or you can't come to our church unless you do these things. We want to meet people right where you are. And so if you don't know much about Moses, please don't feel embarrassed. Just, just listen. Get out your Bible when you get home. Dig into this. See what this is all, all about. But Moses was called by God to rescue his people from Egypt. They had been in Egypt. They were enslaved there. And God was going to use Moses to rescue his people out of Egypt. And so many places in Matthew, Jesus is involved in that same type of rescue work. He is rescuing God's people. And there's even references to Egypt. There's references to going through the water, all of these things, including fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. Jesus enters into the same type of temptation, the same type of testing that Moses faced when he went up on the mountain to get the Ten Commandments. After that, it says, after he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he then became hungry. And we all just want to say, no, no, duh. (laughs) If you didn't eat for 40 days and 40 nights, you're going to be hungry. The important thing here is to see that the test for Jesus, the temptation for Jesus, it was real. Jesus got hungry. I don't need to tell you that many of you are hungry right now. 
and we're going to talk about food this morning, which is going to make it all worse for you. But, uh, but, but the idea that Jesus was human, he got hungry the way we got hungry, and, and we get hungry. In his hunger, look what happens next. It says, the tempter came to him. The tempter came in what was probably one of his weakest moments. The tempter here being Satan, the devil, who wanted to entice Jesus away, move him away from God's plan. And look what he says in verse 3. If, if you are the Son of God. Now this is key to understanding how these temptations work. And the reason you have to understand why this is such a big phrase is because we have to remember what happened at the end of chapter 3. At the end of Matthew chapter 3, Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist. And as he came up from the water, the heavens opened and there was a voice from heaven. It's going to be up on the screen, not the voice itself, but, but the words will be up on the screen. Matthew chapter 3 verse 17 Behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. So watch what's happening here. God has spoken to Jesus at this moment and said, You are my beloved Son. You are my Son. I am active in your life. You can trust me. And what does Satan do? What, what does the tempter do? He comes along and he says, If you are God's Son. So what's he doing? He is testing Jesus' trust in God as Father. He is testing Jesus' identity. When Satan comes to you and says, you know what, you're probably not really a Christian. You're probably not really a child of God. You can't really trust the Lord. You know, you might call him Father, but he's not a real Father. He's testing our identity. He's testing our trust in God as Father. And he does it in a very specific way. He says to Jesus, if you are the son of God, command that these stones become bread or speak to these stones to become bread. Now on its surface, that doesn't sound like a bad thing. It sounds like, and listen to this very carefully, it sounds like Satan is helping Jesus. He's telling Jesus, you're hungry. Just speak to these stones and they can become bread and your hunger can be taken care of. But here's the temptation. The temptation from Satan is to tempt Jesus to speak to the stones and not to his father about this. The temptation is that he would bypass God as father because God had had him out there 40 days and he hadn't fed him. God wasn't taking care of him apparently. Just speak to these stones and your hunger will be taken care of. He was tempting him to take something without going to God to ask if that was the right way to have that thing. And this goes back to the very core of how Scripture addresses the issue of sin. Genesis chapter 3. God has created the world, and onto the scene comes this deceiver. Genesis chapter 3 verse 1. The serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field. The serpent. Have I told you how badly I hate snakes? I think I have. I think I've shared with you before that I have a very, very unhealthy fear of snakes. Because snakes are nothing more than a slithering stomach. That's it. They're just like a moving digestive tract. That is, that's all they're good for. They're, they need to be killed, done away with. I, if you raise snakes, I'm sorry for that, that uh, if I've offended you by that. I, I just don't do snakes well at all. 
But it's interesting that the Bible uses a snake as the imagery for the devil, for the tempter, this idea of consumption. I skipped over it on the screen, but go back for a second to 1 Peter chapter 5. When it's addressing Satan, it doesn't call him a snake in this situation, but it calls him a lion that roars around, that prowls around. And what is he trying to do? He's trying to devour, to consume Everything about Satan, everything about the enemy is built on this idea of consumption, trying to gain things. And so in Genesis 3, when he tests Eve, what does he test her with? Food. He says, did God really say you couldn't eat this food? Come on, he doesn't know what's good for you. He's just holding out on you. Eat this. Food was at the very core of the temptation and the test that the Israelites faced when they were going through the wilderness. Deuteronomy chapter 8. This is fascinating how this works out. But Deuteronomy chapter 8 verse 2. It says, You shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And then listen to verse 3. He humbled you, And let you hunger, and then fed you with manna, which you did not know about, nor did your fathers know about, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone. Hopefully that sounds familiar at this point. This is the scripture that Jesus quotes. But man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. And so when God tested the Israelites in the wilderness, he tested them based on food. Numbers chapter 11 verse 4 tells us what they did when they were tempted. Now the rabble that was among them, in other words, the people who were grumbling, had a strong craving, the craving you have in your stomach right now. And the people of Israel wept again and said, oh, that we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt that cost nothing. The cucumbers, we could do without cucumbers, but if you like cucumbers, that would be an option. The cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. But now our strength is dried up. And there is nothing at all but this manna to look at. And then in Psalm chapter 78, the psalmist explains what this test was all about. They tested God in their heart by demanding the food they craved. They spoke against God saying, can God spread a table in the wilderness? Therefore, when the Lord heard, he was full of wrath because they did not believe in God and did not trust in his saving power. I underline that last part because I want you to hear this. God was not angry at them because they were hungry. God was not angry at them because they wanted meat. It's good to want meat, unless you're a vegetarian, but it's, otherwise it's good to want meat. And I think everybody should want meat, especially bacon. Everybody should want bacon. Um, it, it's good to want these things. He's not angry with them because of that. He's angry with them Because they didn't trust him. Because what had God promised to the people when they got to the promised land? He promised them this land flowing with milk and honey. There was going to be this incredible produce there when they got to the promised land. But along the way, they said, we can't wait that long. God's brought us out here. He gives us nothing good in the wilderness. And so we just want to go back to Egypt instead of pressing ahead to the promised land. Imagine that a mom... Or if in your house, the dad does the cooking because it's safer that way. But however it works out in your house, whether it's the mom or the dad, imagine that you make an incredible meal for your kids. 
You labor over this pot of jambalaya or gumbo or whatever it is. You labor over it for hours. You set out the table for your kids to come in and eat. And your kids come running into the house, grab a Pop-Tart, throw it in the toaster. 30 seconds later, it pops up. They say, hey, see you, Mom. I'm out of here. And they run out with their Pop-Tart. You spent hours, hours making this meal to offer to your kids. And if they would have waited five more minutes for the pot to be ready, everyone would have sat down at the table and had a meal together and been able to spend that time together. Because the mom has not only wasted her time with the food, she's missed out on what she really wanted, to sit down with her kids and get to know them and for them to enjoy what she has made for them. And instead, they said, I can't wait for that. Grabbing the Pop-Tart, I'm out of here. This is the temptation that was being faced here, that they would take something that wasn't theirs to take, even though God had something better planned for them down the road. And so Jesus steps into this temptation, and here's what he says. He answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Notice that word alone. Jesus was actually considered by a lot of people to be a glutton and a drunkard. In other words, Jesus liked good things. He liked food. Matthew chapter 11, verses 18 through 19. John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say, he has a demon. But the Son of Man came eating and drinking. They say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard. In other words, Wanting good things, wanting food, wanting to have these things is not the problem. The problem is when it gets twisted and it becomes more important than trusting God's word. So in the middle of your notes, on the back of your, of your bulletin there, the first temptation is about passions and desires. It's about consuming things that promise to fulfill us but being tempted to consume or experience these things outside of the Father's provision, the Father's design. Last week, we looked at three circles. I want to throw these three circles back up there really quickly on, on the screen so you can see them. The three circles are God's design, but if we break God's design and we leave, leave God's design, it's sin, which leads us to brokenness, but we can repent and believe through the gospel, and then move back toward God's design. God has designed, and this is what I want you to hear clearly, God has designed good things for his people. God wants us to have good things. The problem is when we pursue these things according to our own plan and our own timing and not according to God's plan and God's timing because it takes us away from God's design and it leads us to this place of brokenness. Now, what does this look like? What does this look like applied in our everyday life? So you can look at it like a lot of things, but let me give you two options really quickly. Food and sex. I know we picked two easy ones, so we'll just throw them out there. Food and sex. Now, it'd be easy at this, at this moment to think, why can't you deal with something really spiritual like prayer and Bible study? Why, why talk about food and sex during, during a sermon? Because it reveals too much about what we think about spirituality, that we think that prayer and Bible study are spiritual, 
but not things like food and sex. In other words, what we say to ourselves is, you know what, give me prayer, give me Bible study, I'll show up at church, but don't mess with the rest of my life. Don't let the Lord have anything to do with the rest of my life. But that's just how God works. Prayer and Bible study impact the way we think about things like food and sex and money and work and all of these other things. We don't separate our spiritual life from the rest of our lives. It impacts these things. And so many of the temptation accounts, so many of the verses in Scripture that talk about sin are related back to food. I hope I don't ruin your lunch plans today, okay? But we're going to look at a couple of verses related to this. Isaiah chapter 25, verse 6, is about what God wants to provide for his people. On this mountain, meaning the mountain of the Lord, the the thing that we will experience when God brings all things to fulfillment. On the mountain of the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine. Baptists have to say grape juice, but the scripture says wine. So do with that what you want. But a feast of rich food and a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well-refined. You don't think God wants to give good things to his people? When he tells them what the new creation will be like, he lays out for them this incredible feast. He wants them to have these things. Except food gets corrupted. Philippians chapter 3, verses 18 through 19. Many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. That's really strong language, followed by their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with mindset on earthly things. It's incredible that Paul connects enemies of the cross of Christ with their God is their belly. Now hear me closely here, okay? We're not talking about obesity We're talking about your desires, your desires for consumption. We're we're not talking about body shape. We're we're talking about temptation. Because there are many people who might call themselves big boned who work very, very hard to control their desires for food, to say, I want to honor the Lord with these desires that I have for food. And there are other people that because of some genetic miracle seem to eat whatever they want and never gain any weight. And you feel incredible envy and maybe even hatred toward those people because they're not controlling their desires, but they don't ever seem to show the results of that. The issue is not body shape The issue is, what is my life directed toward? Where are my desires directed? Because we live in a world, let's just just face it, we live in a world where food, body image, can consume us. Either you lose control and you find yourself eating way more than you need to eat. And if we're not careful, if we're not careful, we end up just laughing at gluttony. We just say, you know, that's not such a bad sin, except for the fact that your God is becoming your stomach, your desires. And Paul calls that being an enemy of the cross of Christ, because you're allowing worldly desires, worldly things to consume you, and you're not giving yourself to the Lord. And then the flip side of that is someone who is so obsessed with their body image that all they think about is their body image and health and working out, and they never give themselves to the Lord. 
The question is, are we giving ourselves to our body and to food, or are we giving ourselves to the Lord? What is consuming us? If you struggle with eating, eating too much, eating the wrong foods, if, if, if laziness, all those sort of things are dominating you, let me point you to something that, that can be a great help. If you go to YouTube, and there's very little on YouTube that I would actually point you toward, but let me give you a, an idea. There's something that you can type in on YouTube called the Keybone Project, and it's at the bottom of your notes there on your bulletin. Keybone is K-E-A-H-B-O-N-E, Keybone Project. Now you say, what in the world are you talking about? A guy named Mike Keybone was my youth minister while I was in high school in, in Oklahoma. Mike Keybone is a large Native American man, all right? He's not only a large Native American man, he's a large, funny Native American man who preaches a lot of revivals, does a lot of youth ministry things around the nation. And Bone, as we called him, Bone has always struggled with his weight. He's always struggled with eating. And like a lot of big people, especially big people that speak to youth, he just made fun of his weight. He just laughed at himself and kind of pushed it to the side and used it as as persona. But the Lord began to convict him that he was consuming food as a God, and it was not funny. It was departing from God's design for his life. And so he has documented his efforts to trust the Lord and to get control of his diet, get control of his body, of his life. And he's put these videos out there on YouTube. And if you just need something to watch, to to focus yourself back on the Lord, to not be consumed by these things, Mike has some great resources out there to to look at and pursue. We need to support one another. The time has passed, the time has passed to laugh at gluttony. It's time to give ourselves to the Lord, not to be consumed by the things of this world, but to give ourselves to Him. Here's the second thing we need to talk about, is sex. And you think, why connect food and sex? Well, the reality is, in cultures all over the world, those things are connected. But not just cultures all over the world, they're also connected in the Bible. Let me, let me show you how this happens. Genesis chapter 3, verses 6 through 7. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was the delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. A temptation related to food immediately becomes a temptation related to sex. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 16. See that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single mill. This verse is drawing on an Old Testament story about how Esau and Jacob were twins, and Esau gave up his blessing because he was so hungry and he craved this meal. But notice how the author of Hebrews also says that he was sexually immoral. Those two sins were tied together. This idea of consumption, craving something. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 7 to 8. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did. And 23,000 fell in a single day. 
If you ever wonder if God takes sin seriously, that's a really important passage. These ideas of food and sex are tied together, but, but watch this as well. Revelation chapter 19, verse 9. The angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. That combination there, marriage, supper, sex, food, tied together because they both represent those cravings, those desires that are built into us as humans. Cravings given to us according to God's design so that we would know his goodness, so that we pursue his design, and so that we would show the world faithfulness in relationships tied together with those desires. No matter how much uh, a husband might you know, try to convince his wife, you won't really starve without sex. Then we might try to say that. It doesn't really happen. But it's still built in there as a desire, a craving that they're, that they're tied together. The question is, how do you pursue that? How are you going after that? How are you dealing with those desires that God has given us so that we will point people to his goodness? Remember that chart of those circles when we leave God's design, it leads to brokenness. And you don't need me to tell you that we live in a world that is broken in terms of showing people what it is for God to give sex as a good design. Churches have had a hard time talking about this. Uh, and, and a lot of times, maybe embarrassment has just kept us from addressing this, this topic. And so, to a watching world— can I be really honest? What we've shown them, we've shown them a lot of overweight pastors yelling about homosexuality. That, that's been our message to the world about sex because we haven't talked about God's design. We haven't talked about what true brokenness looks like. And so all the world sees is gluttonous pastors yelling about homosexuality. We've got to do better than that. God has called us to live countercultural lives that portray the goodness of the gospel to the world around us so that people will be drawn to Christ and in him find life and in him find joy and hope and all the good things that God has created for us. And part of the way that we do that is through marriage, through the way that we deal with those desires that God has given us. Really quickly, what does that brokenness look like in, in our world? One of the ways that hits so close to home, especially in, in church, and especially with men, is pornography. Pornography is the rampant sin in church. And I know it's not just a male thing. I, I realize that it, it can, it's also a female temptation. But pornography is built on this idea, and this is very important to understand how this temptation works in Scripture. Pornography is built on the idea that you can have the desire. You can have the consumption without the relationship. And that last phrase is the key, without the relationship. Pornography doesn't require you to take the trash out. Pornography doesn't require you to listen to stories from the day about what the kids have been doing. Pornography doesn't require you to wait until the goodness of marriage comes. It just says it's right there. Take it right now for yourself without the relationship. And yet God has designed sex to happen within the marriage relationship as a good thing. And pornography comes in and, and tears that apart. 
The same thing with adultery and divorce. You don't like what's happening right now? Just try something else. Maybe, maybe it will be better. Now, I know situations are complicated and they're difficult, but ultimately that's what we show the world that, you know, this didn't work out. Go somewhere else and maybe it will work out better with someone else. Ladies, let me throw something out there that can be uh, a struggle for women sometimes. is this idea of relational fantasy. It's this illusion that you read a book or you see something portrayed and you say, you know what, if my husband was like that, then fill in, fill in the blank. Except that perfect guy out there in the book, he don't exist, all right? He's fake for a reason. He's written into the book for, for a reason. He's not real. But in your mind, you can look at someone else and say, oh man, if I was married to them, then it would look like this. It's an illusion. It's wanting something without the relationship that the Lord has called you into. It's, a rela- it's wanting it without the sacrifice that is required. One other way that sexuality gets broken so badly in our culture is through homosexuality. And I address this lastly because in the church, we've got to get the log out of our own eye and take care of some of those beginning things, and then we can begin to address this other question. A few months down the road, we're going to take a couple of Sundays and look specifically at homosexuality because it's it's Supreme Court issue now. It's, it's an issue that's going to become more and more prominent. But homosexuality is another example of these desires, these cravings, and pursuing things outside of God's design. The point of all of this is that God has designed us for his glory. And he has designed us to show the world what it means to enjoy his good things, but to enjoy them in a way that follows his word and his design. There once was a man who had two sons. And we're going to wrap up with this. There once was a man who had two sons. One of the sons came along and he said, I want my inheritance now. Give it to me now. Whatever I have coming to me, I want it now. I'm out of here. And so the father gave him his inheritance, and he ran off out of the house to a foreign country. He lived it up, spent his money, enjoyed the things of the world, and before he knew it, he found himself eating with the pigs. Because everything that he had pursued, everything that he had wanted, all of the worldly things that he was craving after, proved to be empty proved to have nothing on the other side. And so he decided in his mind, I've got to go back to my father. I've got to go back to him and ask him for forgiveness, and and maybe he'll just make me a servant, and at least I'll have something good to eat, and I can hang out with the servants. And so this man goes back toward his father's house, and as he's coming back to his father's house, his father sees him coming, and what does his father do? He runs after him. And he hugs him. And in Luke chapter 15, verse 24, it says, For my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. You know what? The problem with sin is not that we do something wrong. The problem with sin is that it leads to death. Sin kills Outside of God's design, the result is death. And the answer to that is the gospel, is that Jesus Christ took on our sins so that we could come back to the Father 
and find celebration, find forgiveness, find love. My goal this morning is not to put a guilt trip out there, it's to put grace out there. If your life is broken by cravings, broken by desires, you might be craving money, you might be craving food, you might be craving acceptance, you might be craving whatever it is, but if your life is driven by that and not built on God's word, Jesus paid it all. He has paid it all so that your sins would be forgiven and you would pursue God's design for your life. I'm going to pray for us, and then Corey is going to come up and he's going to lead us in a song. During this song, if you just need to pour your heart out to the Lord in prayer, do that. I'll be here at the front. I would love to pray for you. You may just need to sit, uh, stand there and sing and express your heart to the Lord. Whatever God is doing in your heart, let's respond to him right now. Let me pray for us. God, this temptation that Jesus, all he had to do was speak to those stones and they could become bread. The problem was, is that would not involve him speaking to you, his father. And God, I am sick to my stomach about the number of times that I crave and give into and just consume the things of this world in a way that does not honor you. God, I pray that we would be a people who live holy lives not to impress you, not to gain your favor, but to show a watching world what it means to have been dead and now be alive again, what it means to have been lost and now be found, and that we would celebrate in the gospel of Jesus Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name.